Well, uh, thank you, Emma, for reading and Liz for praying for us. If I can extend my welcome to you, my name's Michael Leeds. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, how good was that video from uh, some of our mums? Uh, if you're a mum, that is a great privilege to be a mum uh, and, and such a great privilege to be able to teach your kids about the Lord. Uh, and we saw in that video as well just the great privilege it is to have all these sisters in our room who are spiritual mothers to us. I know for me, growing up as a Christian, uh, I wasn't in a Christian home. Uh, and the sisters in our church were spiritual mothers to me, and I thank God for them. So it is a good day to celebrate our mums, but I think even more so uh, those who are our spiritual mums. But uh, we've been looking at this letter to the Colossians. That's the plan for today, to keep looking uh, through this letter. And last week we looked at a prayer. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by praying for us uh, in light of the prayer that we heard last week. So let me pray for us before we look at today's passage. Well, Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom, in all spiritual understanding, so that we might walk worthy of Jesus, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in our knowledge of you, being strengthened with all power according to your might, with endurance and patience, giving thanks to you, Father, for all that you've done in Jesus, your Son, for us. Amen. Well, what's, uh, what blows your mind? Uh, you know those things uh, when you see them or when you think of them, they just kind of leave you in awe. They make you think, you know, wow, and just, just wow, that, that my mind's blown by that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen those People Are Awesome YouTube videos, uh, Confession, maybe I've seen too many. But uh, if you haven't, they're, just, they're a compilation of uh, these incredible things that people can do, really unnecessary things. Uh, but nevertheless incredible. So there's this uh, video of a, of a woman who's juggling kind of five balls at a time, but she's doing it with her feet while standing on her head. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that one. There's this other one, which I think is, is just amazing, of a man being thrown up in the air by his elephant. So the trunk throws him in the air, and as the elephant throws him up, he does a few flips and then lands on the back of his elephant. Uh, again, all very unnecessary, but, but just mind-blowing stuff to observe. Uh, maybe that's not your cup of tea, and if that's not you, you don't like YouTube, good on you, that's a good thing, don't waste your time. Uh, may- maybe it's the engineering feat that kind of blows your mind, you know, that, that building, uh, that-, that bridge. I-, I must admit, I still marvel at airplanes. If you just kind of stop and watch them take off in an A380, 600 people on board, you know, massive chunk of metal, and off it goes in the air, uh, it still blows my mind. Uh, maybe for you, it's things of the creation that blow your mind. Uh, when I go to Katoomba and uh, stand on Echo Point and look out over the Blue Mountains, sometimes that still leaves me breathless. Maybe that's what blows your mind. You see, what are the things that just blow your mind? Uh, they make you think when you see them, just leave you kind of godsmacked. And wow, awesome. So here's my aim this morning. Here's the purpose of this passage for this morning. It's to blow your mind about the person of Jesus. That's why that's here. And you need to have your mind blown by the person of Jesus. And I won't tell you why just yet. We'll find out why as we go. But if you're a follower of Jesus, or you're considering Jesus, or you know very little about this man called Jesus, you need, and I know that's a really strong word, You need to have your mind blown when it comes to him. 
And we're just about to find out why. So let's jump straight into our passage. Please have your Bibles there. And remember, this is, this is a letter. Again, real history, a real thing. It was a letter that was written by God's apostle Paul to these Christians in Colossae, or Colossae, however you want to say it. So imagine a group of people. They, they're gathered in a room together. They're sitting uh, attentively, hearing this letter read out to them. That, that's what we need to imagine. And they've heard so far that Paul's thankful uh, and prayerful uh, to God for them. We saw that over the last two weeks. And what Paul wants to do now is to blow their minds about the truth of Jesus. And this is point one, your outline, the mind-blowing truth about Jesus. So again, look with me, make sure you've got your Bible. Chapter 1, verse 15, this is the first thing that Paul writes. This is what he wants us to know as he starts to blow our minds about Jesus. Verse, one, verse 15 he says this, he says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And if you just think about that, just for a second, our minds already get thrown into these lofty thoughts. See, the invisible God. No one can see God. You can't see him. He's, he's not a person that you can see, and yet... Jesus, this person, this man, he's the image of that invisible God. And he's not some kind of, you know, cheap, distorted imitation. Remember um, Flemington Markets as a kid? I don't know if you remember, I used to go to Flemington Markets and, uh, you know, I'd be conned into buying the rip-off Nikes and then the stitching would fall apart after a week and there was always like a Nike sign that was, you know, almost upside down for some reason. That's not it. Not like that. See, look, just look down at verse 19 for a second. Look at verse 19. Look, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. He's not some cheap knockoff. He is God in human flesh. And look again at verse 15 now. He's the firstborn over all creation. And that doesn't mean that, that uh, Jesus was the firstborn of the creation. So don't think that. And it, doesn't, and it doesn't mean that he was the first thing to be created. That's not what it's saying. In being the firstborn, it's the idea of him being the heir. Uh, it's the idea of him being the firstborn son. And if you know anything about the firstborn son, historically, the firstborn son, he inherits everything. He's the heir. He gets the lot. And we're not used to that sort of thinking as much anymore in our day. Uh, today, if uh, a husband and wife have three kids, well, what happens with the inheritance is that uh, the inheritance gets split evenly over those three kids. And when the parents die, they all get their share equally. And uh, if one child doesn't and they miss out, what do they do? Well, they take the others to court. Sadly, that's our modern world. But for much of the history of the world, the firstborn gets it all. Everything. That's the idea. Jesus is the heir. And, he, and he's not you know, the heir of a manor house in a country with a white picket fence and horses in the stable. What is he the heir of? He's the heir of all creation. Everything. And that's only right when we read what comes next. Look at verse 16 now. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, so Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the, the, the firstborn of all creation. And verse, verse 16, why? For because everything was created by him in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Look at what it says, verse 16. All things have been created through him and for him. 
And, and just notice the repetition. It's there on purpose. Everything, all things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, uh, the, the blue mountains as you stand upon Echo Point, the, the sun, the moon, the universe in all its vast array, the one million different species of insects that exist, and, and the billions of each of those insects that are in our world today, all of it is created by Jesus. See, we, we, we really need to get our heads around what this is saying. Uh, you know how uh, you tell a child to go clean up all their things? And uh, hopefully I'm not bringing too many bad memories of your own kids here. But, you know, guests are coming around today and the house looks like a toy store bomb has just kind of hit it. And there's stuff everywhere and there's a pile of Lego in every single room. For, for some reason, Lego is always everywhere. And so you tell the child, you tell your child, you said, all right, go pick up all your things, please. Go clean up all your things. People are coming around. And then uh, you see that uh, they're sitting in front of the TV and you go, did you pick up all your things? You go, yeah, I cleaned up everything. So I'm watching TV because I've done it all. And then as the parent, you go and you inspect. And what is there? Stuff everywhere. Uh, you know, you point out the Nerf bullets on the couch and on the stairs and in the fridge because Nerf bullets, they go everywhere. Oh, I didn't know that you meant Nerf bullets too. No, no, no. Clean up all your things. That means everything. You see, we, we can't miss what's being said here. We're like a child, I think. I'm like a child. Everything, all things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, angels, demons, trees, plants, fish, birds, bridges, planes, cucumbers, <laughs> all created by Jesus. It, it, just, it takes us a while to get this. this. This building, the chair that you sit on right now, the shoes on your feet, the dandruff in your hair. Sorry if you've got dandruff. The mountains, the oceans, the ant, the worm, Thai food, Mexican food, even tripe. My grandmother loved making us tripe. Uh, the love was very much one way. <laughs> All things. If it's a thing, if you can see it, touch it, feel it, observe it, it was created by Jesus. And this is point, Paul's point. See, there are only two categories there is one category that exists that is this thing we call god uncreated before all things eternal and then there are all created things and do you know which category jesus belongs to paul is saying that jesus is part of the god category he is the god category he is uncreated he's the one who made all those things in the other category that's what paul wants us to see and not only is it all created by Jesus, but look again at the, at the end of verse 16. And this is massively important. This is practical for us. Look at the end of verse 16. All of it is created for Jesus. Not just by him, but for him. So again, whatever thing you can think of, even the created things we can't see, even angels and demons, even Satan himself. That thing exists for Jesus. Yes, even Satan and his dominions and his minions. And if all that wasn't enough, if your mind's not blown yet, just look at verse 17. See, verse 17, all those things by Jesus, they hold together. So should Jesus choose to, to refrain from holding all those things together 
the earth that we are on right now would literally stop spinning. The sun would no longer give its light and heat. The, the, the heart that you have will stop beating if Jesus didn't uphold it. See, that, that's what these words are claiming about Jesus. Now, is that outrageous? I mean, as you think about that, do you think, come on, rubbish. That's too much. It's too far-fetched. That's the point. Because it's mind-blowing. And if it's true, which I believe it is, and I hope you do as well, if it's true, this needs to blow your mind. Why? Well, here's our first why. Why? Because you, because me, because I, we were created by and for Jesus. So what this is saying is that you will not know yourself And you will not find yourself and you will not fulfill your purpose as a created human being of the Lord Jesus unless you live for him. And so are you living for Jesus? Or are you living for something that he's created? Are you living for something else? I actually had a good chat with my son uh, Sebastian about this during the week. He was at a school uh, leadership day thing on Wednesday and uh, Seb, uh, he's in year six, and uh, the day was all about reaching your full potential. That was the kind of you know, theme for the day, reach your full potential and flourish. So I just asked Seb, you know, what, what do you think that means? And uh, he talked about you know, doing your best and being the best you can be, which is all fine. That, that's good. It's good to try, good to make an effort and all that. But then I asked Seb, I said to him, what do you think God thinks? What if God asked you, what do you think I see for you in reaching your full potential? What would it mean to reach your full potential in God's eyes? And that took a lot more thinking. But it's what we saw last week, isn't it? Do you remember last week? What is God's will for your life? It's to be like Jesus. Why? Because you were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is your purpose. And that's not some oppressive existence. It's not to be you know, shackled and, and contained in some repressive life. It's the old fish uh, illustration. Uh, many of you have probably heard it. But you know, to, to pull the fish out of the tank and, and to place the fish outside the fish tank where there's no water and there's no plants for, for the fish to feed on, that's not freedom. You're not freeing the fish. That's death. That the fish exists to live in water. We exist to live in Jesus. That's why we were made. And sure, maybe you, know, you can kind of flap around on the floor a bit like a fish, outside the tank, outside of Jesus for a while perhaps. But that's not your purpose. Uh, many years ago, a friend of mine was repairing his mother's fence and he, he couldn't find any nails to, to, uh, to do it with. So he ended up finding a bag of screws wood screws. And I thought, okay, fair enough. You know, you can just as well drill some screws to fix the fence. That will work. Uh, But he didn't have a drill. And so what he did is he started hammering the nails into the wooden fence. And and I said to him, mate, you you can't do that. That that won't work. Screws, they don't work like that. If you know anything about nails and screws, nails are hardened. You can hit them hard. Screws, you can't hit them hard. They'll generally break and, and go all over the place. And uh, needless to say, uh, he insisted, nah, she'll be right. He was that sort of guy, you know, she'll be right. 
So there he was, hammering these screws into these bits of wood, and there were shards of metal flying all over the place. I ran. I just thought, I don't want to be blind for the rest of my life. I got out of there. Uh, And of the 40 screws that he started with, about 10 of them somehow pierced through the wood, but the rest of them completely broken. Because they weren't created for that. That's not their purpose. And it won't surprise you, when a storm came along, that fence fell down. Because the screws, they don't work when you hammer them in. They're not created for that. That's not their purpose. You see, sure, humanity, we, we can get by outside of Jesus. You know, flapping around like a fish out of water. Or a screw hammered like a nail. But it's not what we're created for. It's not our purpose. And worse, it ends with death. It ends with a dead fish with a fallen fence. But when you give your life to Jesus, the one you were created for, the most spectacular thing happens. You become his. And just look at verse 18. We're up to point two now. Jesus and his church. Look look with me from verse 18. It says, He, Jesus, is also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And at first read, that sounds a little bit unspectacular. Because, you know, Jesus, the image of God, that's what we heard before. Uh, All things created by him and for him. It's grand, it's big, it's cosmic. And now, Jesus, the head of of a church. Of, Of a gathering of people. And when this letter was written to the Colossians, the, the, the gathering of people that heard this letter when it was first read out, it wasn't very big, the church of God in Colossae. Uh, there might have been a few dozen of them. A hundred people, max, absolute max. It's hardly mind-blowing to think, oh, Jesus, the head of that small group of people. But we've got to understand what Paul's saying here. You see, this church, this gathering of God's people, it is a new creation because of Jesus. And we'll hear more about that next week. But for Jesus to be the firstborn from the dead, to be the first truly resurrected, that is for Jesus to then create this new age of the church. And again, you might think, well, that's not that mind-blowing. That's not that exciting. But do you know what it took for this new age of the church to be created? And if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, how did God create the heavens and the earth? God used his word, he spoke, and it was marvelous, incredible, mind-blowing that God's word can do that. But what did it take to create Jesus' body, to create the church? It took the blood of God's word. It took Jesus, who is the image of God, the one by whom and for whom all things exist. It took his death on a cross and his resurrection to create this church. You see, that is an incredible thing. This thing called the church, called Jesus' body, it must be special, right? For God to go to all that effort to create it. See, have you ever wondered why why diamonds are so costly? Uh, If you're a bloke, you probably never did until that day, if you're married, when you had to go buy an engagement ring. Before that, you couldn't care less about diamonds, but then you had to. And, uh, you know, if you were that guy, I don't know, you might have been like this. You, you walked into the fanciest jeweler, 
with all confidence, thinking I'm going to buy the biggest, most beautiful diamond ring for the greatest, most beautiful woman. You know, young love, it's naive like that. And uh, as you do, you know, you go into the fancy jewelry store and you spot the biggest looking diamond and you go, how much is that one, please? And uh, then the person at the stall tells you and you realize you'll need to spend the next 10 years paying it off. And so you politely say, thank you, and you walk out. You see, for that diamond to be in that store takes an incredible amount of effort. It, It took a million years for that diamond to be formed in the earth. And then it took some entrepreneur to invest millions of dollars to find the right place to to explore and and remove and mine that diamond. And then you had to extract it from the ground, which took thousands of people, thousands of hours. And then once that thing was extracted, the diamond, it needed to be sorted and then scrubbed uh, and then cleaned and then polished, all to produce just this little stone. It's a lot of effort, right? That's why they are called precious stones. Well, imagine the creator of all things. Can't imagine anything bigger than that. Imagine the creator of all things, the one who spoke all things into existence, being born as a man, living the life of a man, suffering the most horrific death on a cross as a man, facing the wrath of God. All that to create this thing we call church. Now, this church must be pretty special, right? It must be precious to God, right? And when you give your life to Jesus, when you live your life for Him, which is what we're created for anyway, you become a part of that thing called the church with Jesus as the head, the head of that body. And again, if all that wasn't enough, Not only was it God's plan to create this new age of the church, but it's God's plan to bring everything under Jesus as the head of that church. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. God was pleased, verse 20, through Jesus to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of Jesus' cross, whether things on earth or in heaven. And and I don't need to give you another list of, you know, things that are things, you know. Whatever you can think of, whatever a thing is, whatever you can imagine, it will be brought under the rule of Jesus. And so this is where the rubber hits the road for us. This is why we, we need to have our mind blown by this picture of Jesus. Because if Jesus is the image of God, if he is the one by whom and for whom all things are created, if he's the head of the church, with all things coming under his rule, everything being under Christ's authority... Why wouldn't you want to belong to Jesus? For one, everything is his anyways. Why back the lame horse? It's all Jesus's. Stick with him. Why fight him? But for two, if he's the kind of ruler who's given us all the good things we have, life, breath, everything else, he made you. He didn't have to, but he decided to. He didn't have to give us the beautiful creation, relationships, all those things we have, but he did. And if he's the kind of ruler who shed his blood to create his church for you to be a part of and then be right in your relationship with God, why would you look to any other thing or any other one than Jesus? Which leads to our last point, point three, Jesus, the Colossians, and us. 
Let, let me just put this all together for us now. See, remember, Paul's writing a letter. He's writing uh, to the church in Colossae, and we've seen over the last two weeks that they're doing well. Do you remember the last two weeks? They're going well. These, these Christians, they're following Jesus. It's good. But Paul knows that the Christian life is not an easy life. He knows tough times will come for them if they hadn't already. Sufferings and difficulties it will make the Colossians think, you know, it's just, is Jesus really worth it? Because at the moment, life's hard. Life is hard. So, so, so is he really worth it? Do I stick with him? Yeah. Have you ever asked that yourself? And Paul knows that temptations will come. They're going well, but he knows temptations will come. See, the Colossians will look around and now think, why do I bother living as a Christian? Because I look around at all the other people around me and, and like, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty tempting. From the outside looking in, they, they seem satisfied and fulfilled. So is Jesus really worth sticking with or should I just throw my lot in with them? Because it looks all right. Have we ever asked that before? And Paul knew that false teachers were going around teaching false truths. Saying things like, you know, Jesus, he's great, but he's not enough. Jesus, yeah, he, he started your salvation for you, but you've got to do more. There's more to do. You've got to do it. Has anyone ever said that to you before? And so Paul knows difficulties, temptations, false teachings will come. And so what he does is he writes in this part of his letter... He writes to the Colossians to blow their minds about Jesus, to show them how incredible and awesome Jesus is. So whatever difficulty, whatever temptation, whatever false teaching might come, they never shift away from Jesus. Because they know he's better. Because they know that Jesus is their purpose. Because they know all things have been put under Jesus. And that's what we need today. Exactly the same thing. We need to have our minds blown by Jesus. I think of a brother I know who, uh, over the last few years, suffered severe depression. And uh, it brought uh, paranoia as well into his life. And it made things extremely hard for his wife and for his kids. And he hated the fact that, that it made it so hard for his family. Or I think of the Christian couple I know who've been trying to have a child. And, and they've been trying for a long time. And it's hard. And yet God hasn't granted them children yet. At least not at this point. And that brother and that Christian couple, they're still walking with Jesus. Why? Because their minds have been blown by him. Yes, it's hard, but they're not fools. They know Jesus is worth it. And it's just as true for the things that, that tempt us away from Jesus. It's not just difficulties. It's also temptations that come. And, and this is a tricky one because God has given us so many good things to enjoy. We've got to thank him more. He's given us the beauty of creation. And yesterday I, was, I went for a surf and my family were there as well. We were down, uh, down near Thoreau. You know, beautiful mountains, beautiful beach. I was there with, um, with Tony and Marie. And it was lovely. Beautiful. God's given us that. Oh, he's also given us so many things, so many things to enjoy in our modern age. Our homes, clothes, cars, you know, our screens, our shoes. He's given us relationships to enjoy. How good is God? He's given us friends, siblings, children, mothers, even mother-in-laws. I mean, it's Mother's Day after all, so you've got to be good to your mother-in-law. But all those things, they can tempt us away from Jesus. 
They can shift us away from Jesus. It's that old line. You know the old line? You know, good things become God things. But if your mind is blown by Jesus, you remember that that thing that tempts you away from Jesus is actually made by him and is for him and he's Lord over it. And so why would you ever give yourself to that thing instead of Jesus? Because he's better. That's foolishness otherwise. See, do that next time something is tempting you away from Jesus. Just remind yourself that thing is made by and for Jesus. Jesus is Lord over it. He's better than that. But I want to move to the last few verses and we'll finish with this because Paul writes two things to wrap up his point. And the first thing he does is he reminds the Colossians of what has already happened for them. Look at verse 21, just quickly on these verses. Paul writes, verse 21, he says to the Colossians, Once you Colossians, you were alienated and you were hostile in your minds because of your evil actions. But now Jesus has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before God. And Paul's point there, it's very simple. He's just saying to the Colossians, you were hostile to God. You, you were once unholy. You were completely blameworthy. You, you were deserving of God's wrath. But now, Jesus saves you. He saved you, and Jesus is now your head. That's the reality. But then what Paul does is he warns them. See, look at verse 23, our last verse. Look at verse 23. Yes, Jesus has saved you to be holy, faultless, and blameless. But verse 23, he's done so if, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And that warning is there not to rock the Colossians' faith. It's not to make them wonder, oh, am I actually saved? No, it's there for the sake of their faith. You see, the Bible is full of warnings and they're good for us. See, God uses warnings as part of his sovereign power to save us. The warnings are there to cause us to remain grounded in Jesus, to, to not shift away from him. Because again, difficulties and temptations and false teaching will come and we need to be clear on the alternative. You say no to Jesus, well, that's to be hostile to God. And so Paul, he warns them to remain and not to stray. And he's given them exactly what they need to, to know, to remain and not to stray. And that is to have your mind blown by Jesus. That's what will help you remain in him. That's what will help you not to stray. And so let's finish where we started. What blows your mind? Is it Jesus? It needs to be Jesus. And maybe you don't know very much about Jesus yet, but I guarantee you, if you take the time to get to know Jesus, as we have him revealed to us in the Scriptures, your mind will be blown. But for most of us here, we do know Jesus, and he is your Lord and King, but does he blow your mind? You know, are, are you in awe of Jesus your Lord? I'm still at the stage where my kids think their dad is pretty awesome. My eldest is, uh, is 11, so they think I'm pretty cool uh, for now. I remember when I was a kid, I used to see my dad as a bit of a superhero when I was younger. 
Uh, and you know how you have those arguments in the, in the school playground. You know, my dad is so strong, he can lift my bike up the stairs. Yeah, well, my dad's so strong that, that he can lift my mother. Yeah, well, my dad's so strong that he can lift our house, you know. And good luck to that kid if the other kids want some proof. Good luck to that dad. But the picture of super dad, it fades as kids get older and life goes on. Has your picture of Jesus faded? For the Christian, our image and our view of Jesus need, must grow. Not fade. I've said a lot this morning. I've only scratched the surface of what's written here. But this week, tomorrow, uh, in your hope group, reread this passage and just spend the time reflecting on what this tells you about Jesus. And if you do that well, find a quiet time and do it. If you do that well, your mind will be blown by the person and work of Jesus. And that is what we all need. Because Jesus is Lord, he's King, and he's coming back. And only all those who belong to him will be part of that gathering for all eternity. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are not some absent God, some mute God who hasn't revealed himself, who hasn't told us about himself. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for how awesome he truly is. And because we're human and sinful and finite, we just can't grasp just how awesome he is. So we ask for your help. Help our minds to be blown by him so that whatever comes along in this life, it will never cause us to stray from Jesus, the Lord and King. Amen.